Hey, it's Jason Cunningham and welcome back to Save My Business, the podcast that aims to help small to medium-sized business owners navigate through the proverbial shitstorm. Now, today's guest is a good friend of mine, um, uh, somewhat of an icon uh, in the personal training, health, nutrition and mindset industry. And his name is uh, his old mate, Craig Harper. Harps, welcome to Save My Business. You know, son, thanks for having I had nothing to do, so thank God you called. I'm just sitting in the bloody jacuzzi thinking, what will I do? When will COVID end? And then, oh, Jace gives me a call. Good to now, talk to you. Harps, let me just share with our listeners, for those of us that don't know who you are, Craig Harper, one would argue, was the founder of Personal Training Studios in this country. Back in 1990, he had a plethora of Harper's gyms uh, around the sunny Melbourne precinct, but... Uh, in recent times, look, I got to know Harps a while back when we both were working on SEN, uh, 11.16 SEN, which was a, a lot of fun. We used to work on the same day together and, um, and I'd listen to Harps on the way home. But in recent times, Harps has, has set up a new podcast himself called The U Project and I was fortunate enough to get a couple of gigs on that. But uh, Craig is, uh, is somewhat of an inspiration. I actually first met Craig, I would think, about 15 years ago at a conference in far north Queensland, an accounting and financial planning conference where he used he coined the phrase fatty garatti and i've had um i've had the pleasure of sharing a stage with him but this guy is pretty amazing and if you haven't heard of him or don't follow him do yourself a favor and, and follow either craig harper or whiteboard lessons on both instagram and facebook there's some compelling reasons to do so and particularly uh harps if i wouldn't mind sharing your 12 fucking rules for success uh there's one person I know that uses the F word more than I, and that's you, and it makes me feel a lot more comfortable. So, Craig, how are you going, pal? Mate, I'm really good, thank you. It's um, seriously, I am. I'm. Um, it's been uh, it's been an interesting time, as everyone says, but I'm. You know, honestly, my life is good in the context of where a lot of people are at and what a lot of people are dealing with. I'm good. I always say to people, if I complain about my life, punch me in the face because I'm the problem. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, it's all that bullshit. We all have to pivot and adapt and improvise and overcome and figure it out. So, but that's a pretty big club. So I've had to do that and I'm doing full-time study and full-time work. So that's been um, interesting, but nobody's, as someone said, my mate said to me yesterday, well, no one's making you do it. That's true. So I don't have to do the full-time study. I just choose to, but you know, that's one of the things about human performance and behaviour and learning and growing is, you know, we're, we're, we're always figuring out how do I think better, do better, choose better, produce better outcomes in the middle of the mayhem. Like one of the things about humans is we really like predictability and certainty and comfort and familiarity and right now we've got the opposite of all of that. Mm. So it's um, it's an interesting time for us all to see how we control us in the middle of the uncontrollableness of what's going on. So I want to touch on the fact that uh, I'm talking to a middle-aged bloke, a few years older than I am, or significantly older than I am. Let's oh, just, steady on. And, uh, it might hit the nail on the head. Let's tell the truth. Huh. Uh, who's decided to go back and study a PhD at the age of 50-something. But before we talk about that, I want to talk about your journey to where you are today and I, what I find really compelling is is the fact that you were you know what you had five personal training type studio gyms back in 1990 and you're running that quite successfully making a good heap of brass and 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 really changing people's lives uh t- 
tell me what that was like to go in and, and open your first studio and then grow to five and then, and then the decisions that you made to change that lifestyle. So uh, I had five over time, not in 1990, but the first mm. one in 1990. But, it, I, you know, I think what was interesting for me is by the time I was, so I opened my first one at 26, but I didn't go to uni straight away. I went to uni a little bit later to do my first degree, but I came out of school and I was just uh, an ex-fat kid. I was morbidly obese in school and then I became a little bit obsessed with training and running and jumping and lifting shit mm. and training in gyms. And I went, well, imagine if I had a job where I worked in a gym. I'm like, well, that'd be heaven. So I was super ambitious, of course. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, 10 bucks an hour, look at me go, just killing the game. But <laughs> by the time I was maybe 20, I figured out that, I didn't really like having bosses and it wasn't that I was lazy or that I didn't want to work hard. I did, mm. but I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't hate it, but I did. I thought if I'm, if I'm going to do a version of this for the next 40 years, I'm in trouble. Mm. So I started to basically plan to build my own thing. And I, I started personal training in, I actually started to train my first one-on-one face-to-face client in the gym for an hourly rate in 1986 when I was 23. And there were no personal trainers. There was no personal training qualification or industry or insurance or process or recognition. And my first client's name was Max. I just started training him three days a week. And I was getting the grand sum of $11 an hour as a, a gym instructor. So high flyer and <laughs> And Max wanted me to train him three days a week and I ended up charging him, which for me was a million bucks, $100 for three sessions. Mm. So I'm all of a sudden making 33 bucks an hour thinking I'm absolutely, you know, Kerry Packer. And, um, yeah, it kind of went from there. I started doing lots of one-on-one stuff and and I was all right at it and people liked it. There was a bit of a demand. Mm. The hourly rate was better. I was There was some autonomy. I was the captain of my own ship. Mm. And then I thought, what if I had a space that wasn't in a public gym where I didn't have to compete with stinky blokes at 5 p.m. on a Monday who are vying for the bench press and the lap pull and the squat rack? Yeah. And I just, I don't know, I find just, I, I had no idea because I'd never even heard of a personal training studio so the the cut to the chase, I set up my first space in 1990, which was a 1,500-square-foot studio on Hampton Street, Hampton, and I ended up with a 10,000-square-foot place on the Pean Highway, which was the biggest PT studio in the, or centre facility in the Southern Hemisphere. But, wow. yeah, and, and it's like everything. You know, the first year of owning my own business, I had no idea, but... You can't get good at what you're not doing, son. You can't master what you avoid. So I had no idea about business, no idea about management, no idea about admin, no idea about marketing. But I knew a little bit about humans and behaviour and thinking and anatomy and physiology and nutrition. So I just figured it out as I went. You know, I think learning by doing is, even for me as an academic, Mm. I'm actually more of an experiential learner. Yeah, I, I actually can really relate to that. I mean, that's how we built our business. We started at 23 with no idea, 24 with no idea really, and just learned on the job. Uh, so apologies to all those clients in the early days. Do we? No, no, no. Hey, um, there's a lot of our people listening that are gym owners at the moment who or run person training studios who are doing it real tough. 
And, you know, uh, you, you're seen as one of the icons in the industry, but really what I know you for is the mindset piece and how you deal with the, the voices and the myriad of voices going on in your head. What do you say to these guys that are, you know, just waiting for the joint to open up and, and you know, they've been pretty much locked out of their businesses for the best part of six months? What do you say to them? I say I feel for you and it's tough and you have my, uh, my thoughts and feelings. Having said all of that, <clears throat> We can't sit on our hands, or we can. It's probably not ideal to sit on our hands and and to hope shit gets better mm. um, quickly. And understandable that we're flat. Understandable that we're maybe pissed off. Understandable that we're frustrated. All of that. Completely agree with you. Understand. I'm with you in many ways. But the thing is that in the middle of all of those things, we can't control. We need to figure out what we can. Mm. And I. Funnily, you're talking about the industry. Yesterday I just finished doing a month of mentoring and coaching with the team from Vision Personal Training who are the largest franchise group in Australia of trainers. I don't know, they've got 70 or 80 centres, I think. But And we were talking about this exact stuff. We're going, yep, we're not pretending that it's not shit. It is shit. Mm. Yep, it's shit. And we're not pretending it's not hard or difficult. But with all of that, what can I do? How can I meet my clients' needs? How can I adapt? How can I, you know, pivot? All of those things and what can I offer people? And I've had to do that with my own speaking because obviously, I mean, like many other people, I had literally $700,000 worth of bookings go down the gurgler in about three weeks. Yeah, wow. Um, And so we're always just going, all right, what can I do? Because the thing is that, you know, in the in the personal development space and the life coaching space and the self-help space, there's this big emphasis on how do I create this great life? And I actually think it's a mistake. I think the psychology of it is flawed. I think the real challenge is how do I build a great me? How do I build a resilient, strong, adaptable, powerful, effective me in the middle of what can be a complete shit fest, mm. right? Mm-hmm. doesn't mean we don't want a good life. We do. But, you know, there's the situation, there's the circumstance, there's the environment, and then there's the human in the middle of it. And it's, it's how well I can manage me in the middle of the unmanageableness, which will often determine the quality of my life experience. Yeah. Like you and I have met people in great fucking situations mm. who are miserable mm. and got everything externally from the outside looking in. You'd go, wow, what an amazing life. That girl or that dude is successful, but in the middle of all of those uh, trappings of success, overthinking, anxious, depressed, sad, lonely, disconnected, some of that, none of that, all of that. And so, and it's not that one is bad or one is good. It's about the duality of the human experience, Jason, and I'm going to go deep momentarily. Mm. And the human experience is is external, physical world, job, money, business, car, house, other humans, government, COVID. And then the other place we live Thought, feeling, emotion, intention, passion, truth, path, purpose, happiness, joy, sadness, connection, relationship. So it's co-managing my inner world and my outer world and working as much on that internal version of success as the external. Yeah, very powerful, Harps. And and interesting, you know, I I used to think, you know, how lucky I was in life, you know, Um, 
And then I, I had some experiences and uh, they just happened to happen all in a row. I uh, just had a, just a, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, Greg Chappell, I'm batting really well. I'm just not making any runs, you know, oh. and uh, I just kept getting out, you know. But I'd, shit, I look good in the nets. Uh, uh, yeah, but, um, and then I started to realize, you know, I've had a year or uh, well, 18 months of real self development and really understanding the person that I am and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and, I, and I, I sort of put it down to something along the lines of this. If I had this expectation that life is going to go swimmingly smooth sailing and everything's going to be rosy and everything's going to be great and wonderful, then I'm actually just setting myself up for failure. And it's, it's not necessarily about, you know, how well life is going. It's really about how well I deal or adapt to the changing circumstances that are put in front of me. And, I mean, the short answer to that is that I'm not getting any younger. And as we get older, people closer to us uh, get closer to the the point that they're going to leave the earth, you know, and big, big impact on me was, you know, the best part of two years ago when my mum passed away and it just really ripped my soul out of me. And, it, and you know, until still to this day. Now, if I keep going on through life thinking no one close to me is going to die, I'm just fucking kidding myself. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, we both worked, you know, in the traditional media and television and radio and all that sort of stuff. And I remember I lost both jobs on the same day. I thought, oh, shit, what's going on? What what's Cummins doing wrong? You know what I mean? But, yeah, the longer in the tooth that I get, Harps, the more I realise that it's it's really about my mindset and how I deal with the with the roller coaster, with the different circumstances and the changing circumstances that go on in my life. And that's saying that um, you can only control the controllables. I mean, that's been said to death. But how does one who sort of, let's say there's someone listening or a few people listening to this who who generally rationally understand that I can only control the controllables, yet their mind still wanders. What's one or two tips that can help us get back on track to take control of our thoughts and, and the relationship with self that you would offer us? So let me say a few things. I'm going to chuck out some stuff that's a bit deep. Yeah. So we largely live in our thinking. Mm -hmm. And my contention, Your Honour, is that the biggest challenge in life, period, for those of us living in a first world country who don't need to think about, for the most part, survival on a physical level, but for those of us who live a relatively comfortable life, the biggest challenge for us is to manage our mind, right? Yep. And the stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah, the narrative, and huh? That's right. And there's a really interesting area of psychology called metacognition. Metacognition is thinking about thinking. And it's just starting to become more aware and more conscious about not a weirdo, not going weird, not going deep, not going woo-woo, but just going, here's a question. When I sit with blokes who, who I coach who have got 100 times the money I've got, I go, so what's important to you? And they never go, my Porsche or my Ferrari. They go, well, you know, my kids, my missus, my whatever, right? Mm, mm. But what's funny is quite often the, what has the least of their attention and energy and focus is their kids and missus. Yeah. Right? And it's about, I always say to people, tell me what your values are. And there's no judgment in this from me, but what and your values are the things that matter most to you. And, and you know, the thing is like when your mum passed away, one thing as sad and as terrible as that is and still is and that grief will never go, it will just change. Mm. One thing that, that somebody passing that we love, one thing that that does to us, it gives us a perspective and an awareness 
and a mindset that we maybe did never have, right? And yeah. all of a sudden you go, oh, fuck, now I get it. Mm. Now I know what actually really matters, yeah. right? And it's not to say that making heaps of dough and driving this and living, that's not, none of that's bad. Mm. But don't confuse things with the meaning of life. Mm. Don't confuse assets and even accomplishments and, and portfolios with who you are. See, I want to know who people are. I don't know. I don't want to know what you've done and what you earn and what you own and what you look like and how big your biceps are. And mm. I want to know who you are because that really tells me about you, right? Mm. And one of the challenges, and this is guys are worse at this than, than ladies, is that we, we tend to get our sense of self from our stuff. Our identity is our things. Look at me. I can run fast, jump high, play AFL. Mm. I'm on the telly. I make fucking 500 grand or a million a year or I'm the, Mm. you know, and and I've done this. And there's all this bullshit around ego and accomplishments and accolades and recognition and approval. But the problem with that is when our sense of self is an outside-in deal, we're always going to be insecure. That stuff can disappear. This is where it's a big problem, Harps. You know, in our job, uh, in the chair that I've been sitting in the last six or seven months, we've become predominantly financial counsellors. And a lot of guys that run their own business, their sense of self-worth, their sense of identity has been their business. And it's been who they have become in their organisation. You take that away from them or that gets taken away from them, that they're really challenged as people. And, And so... So I get what you're saying, and that's all amazing in hindsight. Like, you know, imagine that they had dealt with that shit back then, but now they're faced with this tsunami shitstorm, you know, and listening to what you said just then, it gave me this sense of realisation, the conversations that I've been having with so many people. You know, our business is fortunate. Look, our revenue's down and things are harder for us and all that sort of stuff, but we've still got work coming in. We're still paying the bills. I, I talk to people whose revenue is down 90%. 95 percent i've got you know one of our team members uh, i know somebody who ha- is in the restaurant game and her father is you know he, he he's doing it real tough because he's a he came to australia from a different country set up shop ran a restaurant fed his family proud man and now it's been t- it's taken away from him and and, and he's he's a broken man hubs mm. he's mm. a broken man and and yeah, I think what you've got to say is, is really important. If we can arrest the development before it gets to that point, I think I think that's really important. Look, it's, I mean, the thing is that it's simple and it's complicated and the challenge for us is in terms of this, when we get our entire sense of self and self-worth and identity from our things, our job, our brand, our income or our looks or our reputation or whatever, we're always going to be insecure because that stuff can disappear. Yeah, you'd lose your hair, you get fatter, you yep, go out of business, absolutely. Hair, you get fatter, yep, but enough about you. Yeah, so, you bastard, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> steady on, steady on. Uh, we're both on the same bloody script. But it's, and it's, it's about trying to co-manage both, I think, mate. And the thing yeah. is, you, you and I work with people to help people. You work with businesses. I work with businesses. And, of course, we want to build the brand and the bottom line and the company and the profile and efficiency and all mm. of those things. But in the middle of all of that, we want humans that are happy. 
humans that are connected, humans that feel valued and appreciated and humans that get excited to go to work and humans that are mentally and emotionally and physically and socially healthy. Because if you're earning a million bucks a year and you hate what you do, you're failing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Harps, for those people who haven't seen you or don't know uh, your mannerisms or know what you look like, I'd argue that you are the epitome of that phrase, uh, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, the first gym I went to is a a gym called Victory Gym in Airport West, uh, King Street Airport West, where there's 500 blokes and two women as members and they were wearing T-shirts, lift heavy or go home. You know, you're a big, strong boy who loves, um, you know, lifting weights and all that sort of stuff, yet you speak so philosophically and quite a deep thinker for a bloke that benches 425 pounds. The other thing that I enjoy about you, Harps, is I coined a phrase from somebody who who said it to me that you don't listen to your own PR and you don't get too ahead of yourself. And I think that's a good gift. I know and can tell the influence uh, that your parents and your, your dear old mum has had on you. Can you just share with us some of the impact about your, you know, family of origin and, and how that's shaped who you are as the person you are today. So my mum and dad are still around. They're great. I saw them on the weekend for the first time in six months. And I grew up in the country, so I'm a country boy, and I was <laughs> uh, discouraged, let's say that, from having a fat head or thinking too highly of myself. Mum mm. and dad loves me, but very very grounded, very real people. And, you know, so for me, I'm, you know, I'm very aware of, of my values and my, my, I call it my internal sat-nav. My internal sat-nav basically, that's how I make my decisions and run my life. And my mum and dad owned businesses growing up, so I, I grew up in those businesses. I worked in those businesses And my mum and dad both have a level of practical, um, experiential and intuitive intelligence that, you know, they kind of trained me with. And so, you know, my mum is (laughs) like we talk about resilience and we talk about passion and, you know, mental toughness and there's a lot of key terms that get thrown around. You know, my mum has had cancer three times and started last year she had bowel cancer and lung cancer at the same time which is awesome and they were both two separate cancers and one wasn't a consequence of the other but anyway the bottom line was they needed to do two major surgeries in seven days which is definitely not recommended normally there would be six to 12 months between those surgeries especially with a woman her age anyway she had both surgeries they thought she might not make it fair chance she made it Um, went on five months of chemo, blah, 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 the worst chemo ever. She went down to like 37 or 8 kilos, no hair, and all this, like all the worst stuff you can think of, mate, and you would understand. And and I remember when my mum was like, you know, she had this constant taste of metal in her mouth. She was either, I I won't give you all the details, but Mm. very unpleasant. Mm. And I would talk to her every day, and the first thing she would ask me was something like, did you sleep well? Are you eating well? Are you looking after you? Like this is my mum who weighs as much as my fucking lunch who's asking me, you know, she's making sure that I'm looking after myself, you know? And that for me, that's the person that I want to be. 
Yeah. You know, I, that's what I admire. I admire humanity. I admire empathy and kindness and love and compassion and all the other things are cool, but my best friends, uh, the people I love, they're just awesome humans. I don't give a fuck what they look like, what they drive, where they work, what colour, what gender, what fucking sexual persuasion. Mm. And, and that sounds, you know, very current, but I've always been that way. Yeah. I, I just value people for who they are and how they are. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Mums are, mums are very special, mate. Um, they are indeed. Hey, Huffs, so how many speaking gigs did you do last year, last calendar year? Okay, so I do my stuff is I'll just explain it a bit. So it's a combination of corporate, corporate gigs, which is essentially, as you know, rocking up, doing what we call a keynote. Mm. It's a combination of those and uh, workshops where I'd, I'd spend a half day with a, a company or a team or a full day. Uh, on top of that, I do my open to the public gigs, which everything from three-hour workshops to full-day workshops to two-day, two-and-a-bit-day programs live in, as well as I was running while we weren't in lockdown, um, usually two sessions a week of face-to-face where I would coach 30 people at a time. Yeah. But I was in front of an audience at least 200 times a year, so yeah, most right. four days a week probably. Yeah, and then uh, since March, how many audiences have you spoken to, big boy? Uh, fuck all. Just yeah. um, the cat, um, <laughs> the goldfish, the neighbour. Nah, but I'm, 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 I don't have a cat. I'm, yeah. um, <laughs> but like you, mate, I'm Zooming, so... Mm. Let me interject, right? So you, you speak to 200 audiences uh, last year. Uh, your bread and butter is face-to-face behaviour, whether it's uh, in the boardroom, whether it's on a stage, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's one to 30, whatever it is. That gets taken away from you. What goes through your mindset to, and I, this phrase annoys the shit out of me, but, you know, pivot or transform. Let me, let's go with transform your offering into a digital type platform. How, how did you go through that process and how did you deal with it and, you know, maybe culminate with the um, the evolution or the, the birth of the U project for me? Sure. So so fortunately for me, I've got a, a business manager who runs my life and is also a partner in one of my businesses, Melissa, who's 30-ish and has a double degree in business marketing and psychology and is also 15 times smarter than me, which is not a big stretch, no, but also is a tech genius. So that was handy. So I walked around with my bottom lip out for about a day when everything fell over. And then, as I said, I was doing, I have a basically a little lecture theatre slash office. So I, I stopped doing one-on-one coaching a while ago and I started doing small group coaching. Mm. But obviously the limitation of that is, well, people have got to live within a probably a 30-minute drive of your facility or and I have a global audience through my social media. So that, that kind of knocked that on the head, obviously. And then so within a day or two, we decided to run a, a mentoring group, same as I normally do, same duration, same content, same amount of time, but we would do it online. Mm. So I said, well, let's not go too hard on the marketing because I could fuck it up. And I don't know how I'm going to go sitting in my office talking to a screen. So I said, let's just, we didn't advertise per se. We didn't market per se. Like we spent zero dollars. 
and we put our one or two Facebook things up, one or two Instagram, and within five days we had 255 people booked for Program 1. Wow. Booked and paid. And I went, oh, this is okay. Mm. And obviously we could charge way less. And then we got to the end of those, that was just four weeks, and then we started getting all of these emails coming up for the fourth session, which was the last session going, what about, you know, level two? I'm like, there is no fucking level two. Oh, hang on, this there is. <laughs> uh, there wasn't even a level one because, um, uh, like you, I'm a little bit freestyle. It's not like there's a syllabus. Um, so, <laughs> so I went, oh, yeah, level two, no worries. So then we, we times the price by five and we cut it from hundreds to 30, but we, like I said, we times the price by and we filled that up on the first night. Then we launched another one the second day. We filled that up. So since then, it's just been a succession of numerous things, but mainly I'm still doing corporate now where people are starting to rebook. I'm starting to do a lot more coaching with teams where I'm coaching 30, 40, 50 corporates at a time where we would do an hour of me talking about some stuff, essentially a presentation, but... Mm a little bit more interactive and then an hour of Q&A. Mm. That would be the coaching, so a two-hour experience. And we just finished last week my, I don't know what number it was, but level one Jason coaching, mentoring, <laughs> with about 350 in that group. Yeah. So it's actually going great, believe it or not. And it's something that I'll keep doing because yeah. it, it works. And, I mean, the thing about mentoring in this capacity is – it's really convenient for people. Mm, mm. You know, nobody needs to come out, leave home, find a car park, spend, you know, half an hour or an hour getting there, pay for petrol. But it's like it's literally, you know, I'll do a session on a Monday night between 8 and 10 and at three minutes to 8 I'm downstairs in my bare feet and my black T-shirt getting a cup of tea. Yeah. One minute I come up, one minute two, I click on the link. Melissa's there talking to everyone already. And I go, g'day, everyone, and let's go. Strap in, hold on, and let's get going. And then at one minute past 10 or whatever, I go downstairs and press the microwave and heat up my chicken and rice because I'm an excitement machine. <laughs> and, um, and we're good to go. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing, uh, you know, some of the efficiencies that have been created. I know in our business, for example, you know, uh, our meetings uh, go shorter because people – you know, people come to the office, they're happy to stay for an hour and a half, but on a Zoom, they're one off in half an hour, 45 minutes. So we're getting the same amount of work done in a short amount of time. And, yeah, with the presentations and stuff, there's no get there 45 minutes early, make sure the lecture, you know, the mic's working and the lights are right and all that sort of stuff. It's click, bang, and you're away. But, Harps, there's no doubt, mate, old boy, you didn't go from 200 presos a year to then three days into fucking lockdown, you were building up to where you're at. At the moment you're at, obviously that took a bit of time to build up. And my question to you, you know, for most people that I meet in the gig that I do, where I talk to people about money and their uh, their aptitude towards money and, and how they grow their business and all that sort of stuff, for most of us, the more we earn, the more we spend. And most of us do have this uh, crazy knack of matching our expenses with the amount of income that we earn. It, was there a bit of a, an impost on you personally to go from having that many gigs booked? In the, in the pipe, so to speak, shit, I better change my spending habits, I better contact the bank, I better, or, or we, are you pretty pretty adept or pretty well versed with uh, the management of your money? Uh, no, it, 
That's true. I did. I had to do that. I had to hit the brakes a little bit. Fortunately for me, my crazy days of spending money on shit I don't need to impress people who don't give a fuck about me are over. <laughs> you know, I, I've done all the fancy fast cars and, you know, the five grand a month repayments on the whatever, the Merc or the whatever. Mm that I didn't drive and I'd ride my $2,000 scooter around suburbia because I didn't want the bends to get scratched or something because I'm a genius. Yeah. But like I said, I have Melissa who gets paid. She has a company car and a decent wage and I have my premises where I run my mentoring and our, our kind of HQ and it's not big but it's still, you know, I still needed to come up with five grand a week to break even so you know it's it's not bhp but it's still i've got to come up with dough and yeah you know so it's um yeah it was it was a struggle and it was you know i don't get too stressed but it was it was an interesting week or two and even now mate we're learning and evolving and and when everything opens up again i'm going to keep doing what i'm doing the way that i'm doing it as well as other stuff and I'll tell you how powerful this stuff is, Jason. This will interest you. Like here's what people want right now. People want someone to give a fuck about them. Yeah. And and I think you, like why I like you is, and I'm not pissing in your pocket, but you're a good dude, you're funny, like you're a good storyteller, you, you're genuine, you're great at what you do, you're good at business, you're good at making money, you're good at helping others make money, but you're a good human. And I, I hope I'm the same, right? And I try to come from a place of, Mm. this sounds a bit naff, but it's true of love and kindness and service. And, and, you know, I was talking about uh, six weeks ago to a lady who's a principal of a school. It was a Sunday night. She was crying. I was kind of just trying to help her and she's all her teachers are stressed and the parents are stressed and there's so much pressure on, on them and the kids are hating it. And, you know, she's like, I need, you know, like I want you to talk to my school and my parents and my teachers and my team and my, and I go, well, we can't really do that. And anyway, I got off the phone and I said to Melissa, I rang Melissa and I went, okay, here's what I want to do. This Thursday night, because I had Thursday night free, I said, I want to do a workshop called Managing in the Mayhem. And it's free. There's no hooks, catches, agendas. There's no on-sell, up-sell, side-sell there's no, we're just wooing you in. There's no, nothing. Mm. We just want to do, and I go, what's the, what's our limit on Zoom? She goes a thousand. And I go, well, we're not going to get a thousand, but we might get a few hundred. And and I said, can you build a page on the website? And can you do all that? She's like, yep. And I said, well, I'll launch it tomorrow night, Monday night. And so we did that. And Jason, I launched it at six o'clock and it was full at eight o'clock. Wow. It was full, right? And then we had emails going, please, please do another one. Mm. So we launched another one the next morning at nine. It was full at lunchtime. Wow. We launched another one the next day. It was full at lunchtime. Jeez Louise. So we had over 3,000 people book in. Mm. Now, no money, which is great. But my point is this. People want someone to give a fuck, to care. People want inspiration. They want direction. They want, and when you go, okay, I'm doing this and I don't want you to buy a book and I don't want you to buy a program and I don't want you to come to an event and you're not going to get 20 emails selling shit. 
I just want to help you. Mm. I've got some skills. I've got some knowledge. Come along, see what happens. Mm. If it's terrible, click off. Yeah. There might be something good. Yeah. And hand on heart, I had no commercial agenda. It was awesome. People loved it. We got amazing feedback. The majority just came and enjoyed and then hopefully went and did something with it. Mm. A bunch of people have since jumped in the podcast on a few other things. And for me, it's about it's about that stuff. I get more joy from that than getting, you know, whatever, 12 grand a day standing in front of whoever and whoever. You know what mm. I mean? No, nah, I, look, I, I really can relate to that. And I, I you know, I, I've just learned in my life that the more you give, the more you get. And I spoke with a psychologist a while back and she was talking about people that struggle with depression. And she said, now this is going to sound a bit raw, right? But she goes, in its rawest state, depression is a heightened version of selfishness. Now hear me out, right? And she said, and I'm like, gee, that's a bit harsh, Dale. And she said, no, no. She goes, hear me out. She goes, the best way to fix depression, because depression is when you're focusing on self, inward on self. The best way to fix depression is to focus your attention on someone else. And by helping somebody else, it takes your, in its barest form, it takes your mindset off the bullshit problems you're dealing with and you focus on someone else's problems. So when you do, offer that outward and offer that hope and that help to someone else, all of a sudden you forget about the problems that you've got. And that's just one of the small little benefits that you can pick up on. Mm -hmm. Harps, before we finish up, old boy, you have promised me a workout with yourself, the crab and his daughter when we're allowed to go into gyms. Because I've seen that girl pull out a chin up or two and that is just a damn set impressive sort of behaviour. So, yeah, and there's no need to flex while we're on the podcast, old mate. But how do we, the listener that wants to find out a little bit more about Craig Harper, where does she or he go and what's the best way to, to get some of this, uh, this, this, these nuggets that you're dropping out here? Um, well, after they've listened to all your podcasts three, <laughs> or four, three or four times and you've got some time on your hands, <laughs> you might want to take a wander over to the U Project Maybe don't start at number one. Uh, we're up to nearly 290, so maybe maybe do a couple of the recent ones. I have a website, which is just craigharper.net. There's lots of free stuff on there, at Whiteboard Lessons. One word, at Whiteboard Lessons, is me on Insta, Craig Harper on Facey. Um, yeah, there's lots of stuff. There's lots of stuff on YouTube. Mm. But, yeah, if I'm... I'm if all you ever do is get a little bit inspired or excited or watch something or read something, I've, I've written a bunch of books, but feel free to buy nothing. I've also written a bunch. There's a, there's heaps of shit. Just Google yeah. me and there's stuff everywhere. Yeah. Hey, Harps, let's finish on this if we can. Uh, what what ritual do you go through and or what do you offer the average punter to get their mindset right? I mean, you know, surely there are times where you have dark days or you, you're not at your best. What do you do to get yourself at your best for that relationship with self, particularly the conversations, uh, two or three conversations we might be having uh, inside our head and the narrative that goes on? You know, I, you know, people that are struggling maybe when they go to bed at night, uh, 
think thoughts and you know their mind takes them elsewhere. How, how does one get out of that sort of thought process? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I reckon a good thing to do, Jason, is a, a bit of a stock take on your life. We do stock takes in our businesses. We do assessments. I reckon sometimes it's good to hit the pause button and go, what's good about my life? <laughs> what's good about this relationship? What's And to kind of to kind of do a bit of mining for the gold. Sometimes we look for a negativity of, uh, sorry, a needle of negativity in a haystack of hope. You know, we're so focused on the one or two things sometimes that are not great that we overlook the, mm. the 98 things that are pretty good. And that doesn't mean we're pretending life's great when it's not. But I think gratitude, as much as, as, much as it sounds cliche, gratitude is huge. Um, you know that the crab that you spoke about a minute ago, for people that have no idea who that is, my training partner, we were training last year, in fact. So mm. coming up very soon in three days, it'll be one year since he died when we were training. And he didn't kind of die. He literally died for 17 minutes. And he died at 5.05 on a Friday night and came back to life at 5.22. And talk about perspective and talk about values and talk about clarity and talk about gratitude when his chest started to rise and lower and rise and lower on its own. Mm. Like we are, we have so much bullshit in our head. We are so toxic sometimes in our storytelling that, yeah, of course, we've got to survive financially. I get that. That matters, of course. But then I think what's really important is to go, what is success for me, though? What really matters to me? Yeah, I've got to pay the bills and feed the kids and put people through school and all of that, and that is important, and I'm not downplaying that. But I'm, what I'm saying is beyond that, beyond that, what really matters? What are my values? What is my purpose? Is my purpose to spend the next 30 years making money? Is that my purpose? Or is that just a, a thing for me to be able to do more of what I want to do and love to do? You know, for me, money is a resource to help other people. Mm. Like I don't, I've got a joint in Hampton. I've got a joint at St Andrews Beach. They're both nice enough. And people always go to me, why don't you buy this or do that? I go, because I like my house. I don't know. I'm a single dude living in a two-story, three-bedroom, three-bathroom house. I don't even need this house. No, you don't. But I do like your scooter. I remember when I came to your house to do a record and a I thought you were an Uber Eats friggin' delivery driver coming around the corner on that scooter. You scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I may as well be. You know, and I just think do a stock take, find some gratitude. Don't put your head in the sand. Deal with the problems. Invest your energy in the right place. Don't obsess about things you can't change. Don't waste your time, your talent, your potential, or your energy on the stuff that you can't manage. Yeah. It's all half sets. Mate, I just wrote that down. Um, the whole stock take. I think that's a really you, – you're speaking to an accountant, right? And so that really resonated with me. But th- just for everybody, you know, take that stock take. And you, as you said by your own admission, you're not downplaying the importance of the other stuff, but maybe we're placing too much importance on the other stuff and not enough importance on the stuff that's real, big boy. And it's it's about perfect, perfect. It's about building financial wealth, commercial success, tick, tick, Mm. And emotional wealth, yeah. social wealth, spiritual wealth, 
you know, whatever, whatever matters to you. It's not one or the other. We don't need to be deep and spiritual or a corporate killer. Yeah. I love making money. It's fun. Mm. It's, it's great. It's a resource. It helps me do stuff, get stuff, help people, serve people. Yeah. Buy shit I want. But it, but I don't confuse what I have, what I earn, what I own with, with who I am at my core. Yeah. Too good, Craig Harper. Thank you, sir, for your time. You're a good man. I really do appreciate this. I am also looking forward to the workout in due course when we're allowed to when Big Dan lets us out of the house. Craig Harper, thank you very much, sir. And remember to everybody, don't forget to jump onto the U Project after you've had a listen to this. Thanks, big boy. Thanks, mate. Love you guts. See you next time. You too, pal.